This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Podcast courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Joe Gomez extends his stay at Anfield as Nico Williams creeps closer to the exit. It's happy birthday to Big Verge and the Reds prepare for their Far East tour as pre-season plans remain very much on course. To get into all the latest Reds chatter, I have with me our Liverpool correspondent, Tool Paul Gorse, and fashionably late playing the Ian Doyle role, it is Sean Bradbury. Chaps, I trust you're both well, and Gorsey, let's jump straight into yet more contract news for the Reds. It was one of the priorities on the return from pre-season to speak with Joe Gomez about extending his stay at Anfield, and a new five-year contract has been delivered. Yeah, Joe Gomez and, and Naby Keita, the kind of the two that Liverpool wanted to to move on to once Salah was done and dusted. Um, and they've wrapped up Gomez pretty sharpish, haven't they? It has to be said. I think there was some few um, few questions over kind of whether or not he would be moving on. Certainly, you know, externally at least. Anyway, there was some links to Aston Villa and never really have gone away, have they? And um, there was also a bizarre one linking him to Real Madrid at one point. Um, so I, I was never really too um, too worried about him looking to move. I just think it's just been a, a little bit of an unfortunate period where he's come back from a long-term injury um, at the same time as Matip and Van Dijk and the club have signed Canate, who just happened to have settled in quite quickly. Um I actually asked Klopp about Gomez in March. I think it's before the Forest game, and said, "You know what? What's the kind of lay of the land with him at the moment?" And he basically just said, "He just needs rhythm. He needs momentum, and um, you know, he, he gets that from from games." So it's a bit of a season to forget from a personal point of view for him. But he'll go into preseason now with a spring and a step, full preseason schedule, no injuries, and um, he'll be. Um, looking to play a lot more games at centre-back next season, I'm sure. And to be fair to him, when he did play right-back last season, he, he actually did quite quite well in the games against Norwich and, and Watford in the Premier League. So, um, certainly improved playing in that position. And we know it's not his favourite, but he, he was a lot better than perhaps he was in 2019-20 when he just looked a little bit, you know, fish out of water, really. But, um, you know, good on him. He's still only 25, so his best years are ahead of him at centre-back. And, I'm sure they will be uh, with Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. Sean, in terms of Joe Gomez, it, I mean, a five-year deal, to me, it's it's a big statement of intent and a statement of belief in him from Liverpool. We know the injury issues that he's had. And you, you may say for kind of the last two or three seasons, actually, if you look over that period of time, it hasn't been the most fruitful for him. But this is a real sort of decision, isn't it? And, and marker in the sand for Liverpool to say, yeah, no, you are the future of the Liverpool defensive department. As Gorsty said last season as well, played really well when he needed to at fullback, which I'm sure whilst Calvin Ramsey has arrived at the tender age he's at, it might be worthwhile for Gomez to still get some minutes at that right-back position. Yeah, I think we might see a little bit of him there. But as you say, you know, Liverpool have, have, have bolstered there with, with Ramsey coming in. But yeah, just on the point about Gomez and, and this being a statement on him, I've loved how positive both Klopp and Gomez were around this. I mean, obviously, whenever a player signs a new deal, you're going to get some nice quotes that will come out through the club. But specifically here, you've got a manager saying a, a player who there have been not doubts around, but who, a player who's been very obviously unfortunate with injury 
is in phenomenal shape. You know, that was the word the boss used and just needs rhythm. As Gorsty said, Klopp said, you know, we need some rhythm over pre-season. And, you know, and that's it. And, it, and he'll be back to the Joe Gomez we all knew and loved, who's had long stretches in the side alongside Van Dijk and looked elite, you know, like, like one of the best defenders there is in world football. And then on the other side of that, you've got a player who's hugely talented, but would, I think, be the first to tell you himself. He's got a point to prove and a, a fight on his hands to win his first team place back from, you know, the other guys who had phenomenal seasons last season themselves in, in very different ways. You know, Matip probably having his peak season, certainly for Liverpool in terms of games and, and minutes. Everything was managed very well with him and he was just great pretty much every time he played. And obviously, Kanate, there's not many young defenders certainly have come in and had that kind of impact. But I, I love that element to all this, that Gomez is so upbeat about it, Klopp's so upbeat about it. And it's an extra injection of hunger and competition and desire into a squad which, you know, sometimes you think the Liverpool need a little bit more of that in their squad. They're not not through that it's lacking anything, but you know, sometimes it's 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 the same players being asked to go again season after season, game after game, isn't it? But that's just a very nice extra element to this. And yeah, I just think in general it's fantastic news. Realistically, you need four top centre halves, don't you, to compete as a team who have designs on winning league titles and going on long deep cup runs. And yeah, you've got a player who's, as we as we said, already proved, especially in those two spells alongside Van Dyke, that you know he 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 belongs at the very top level. I always think back to that one, that long stretch that I think really turned the screw when Liverpool won the title in in 1920, where he came back into the team. I think it was not long after the draw, the the, the one early draw against United, and then I think Liverpool with him starting, Liverpool won something like 12 out of 12, and he was him next to Van Dyke was just unbeatable and you know it, it feels weird thinking back to that and how long ago that is and how fair Matip and Kanate now look but honestly I think if, if what Klopp's saying is true which is no reason to doubt and Gomez's words are a sign of what he's going to put in on the training ground then you know it's it's a three-way fight to be next to Van Dyke this season and uh, that's just fantastic news for Liverpool. Yeah, final point on this, Gorstein. I mean, it's it's not often Sean said there, when a player signs a new contract, you do expect a lot of nice kind of words to be said around the player. But the thing mm. that got me yesterday after the news broke looking on, on social media and online was how energised the fan base seemed to be about what could what could lay in store with Joe Gomez and Ibu Kanate. Ibu Kanate was the man trending. And I thought, why, why is he trending? Clicked on it and was looking into it. And so many people enthused. And I'm not I'm not going down the line of it's like a new signing, but it's people looking at it going, this is a five-year deal. And actually already, you can kind of see the evolution at centre-half, whilst Virgil van Dijk will have many years to go. Plenty of people excited as to, I suppose it was the one real partnership last season we didn't really see. I know there was a couple of early cup games, but didn't really see Gomez and Kanate together. No, that, that, that's true, yeah. I mean, Canate turned 23, I think, in May. Gomez is 25. So, you know, in, we're going to talk about Van Dijk in a little bit, aren't we? But in, in five years' time, say, if he's not still the world's best centre-back, which, you know, I wouldn't bet against it in all honesty. But certainly for the long term, you're looking at those two and you're thinking, well, Liverpool aren't going to be needing to do anything drastic in, the, in their centre-back department for years now, really. Um because of, of the age and the quality of both of those players. I mean, uh, I think loads of Liverpool fans were, you know, showing so much goodwill towards Gomez after he signed the contract, because I think they still remember that form he was in, in, you know, the 2020 season. He was, that's undoubtedly his best season for Liverpool. He was playing every week alongside Van Dijk. He was still probably, what, 23 at the time. And he was England's best centre-back. He was playing in a team that, 
won the ended up winning the Premier League by 18 points. Um, don't think, I think they lost once at Watford, didn't they? Before they, they were confirmed as champions, um, and he was a, a vital member of that team. Um, it doesn't really feel like it was that long ago now, really. It's just that he had that. You know, un- unfortunate injury once again, and that struck on England duty in November of that year. And in a way, it still looks like we're still waiting for him to to make his real comeback. So I think with a full preseason behind him, he'll be competing for for a place in that back four. Um, I think I still think you know, looking at looking at it objectively, he's still for choice. I don't think he's going to be, you know, automatically catapulted into the starting lineup on a more regular basis. But I just think given the Last year, he was coming back from that injury and, like Klopp says, rhythm and momentum, it, you know, the, the the key words, aren't they? I think if he gets that this summer, he's certainly going to be playing, you know, the cup games, you'd imagine, and um, I wouldn't be too worried about him starting Premier League games if he gets back to the level that he's capable of because we know he's, he's a top-class centre-half. Yeah, definitely. That's his future secured. Let's talk about one who looks like he's moving on then, Sean, in Nico Williams. Of course, he was out on loan at Fulham for the second half of last season and for a good while has wanted to, to maybe find somewhere to permanently settle down his career. Obviously, we know how much playing for, for Wales means to him and trying to secure a place for them ahead of the World Cup. Looks as though he's going to be teaming up with a, a former uh, Reds youth coach in, in Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest and seems like a, a smart and decent move all round this one. Yeah, I think that's a very fair way of summing it up. And I think in general, this is the kind of mid-range deal that Liverpool in, in recent years have just done so well. You know, it, it's, I think it's, we've been told it's, it's looking like it's going to be a package of up to 17 million all told for, for the transfer, which I think on the face of it is 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 pretty good. You know that that certainly looks from Liverpool's perspective quite good value for a player who I think is starting to show his potential. But you'd certainly say in a in a red or in a red Liverpool shirt, certainly not for Wales. It's a little bit different there. He's he's maybe not quite realised it yet. You know I think it's it's all very well pointing to huge deals like inflated fees, like say Coutinho that that in a very instant and obvious way goes out and allows Liverpool to sign a couple of huge star players. But it, it's these ones where Liverpool seem to extract that little bit more, 10 20% worth of value and get a good deal over the line for a player that just balance the books and keep things ticking over. And, and I think you're right. It's one that for all parties will will suit. Because I was looking before at the stats of, um, of of Ramsey compared to Williams. And, OK, there, we're talking different levels here. You know, obviously, Williams has played in the Premier League and in the Championship. Ramsey's obviously only represented... Um, teams, one team in in the Scottish Premiership, but Ramsey's actually started more senior league games than than Williams, and oh, I'd say he played more, and you know is is significantly younger. I think three years younger. So uh, from that perspective, you know, I think there's there's a lot of untapped potential in Williams, but from Liverpool's point of view, it's not guaranteed that you're going to see that there. And you know, he's probably going to go and need more regular game time to really become a player who can express himself as as an attacking fullback and. Yeah, I just think for for him as well, a lot of the noises from the Forest camp seem to be that they really regard this as as a significant statement signing. You know what? If it does get done, which it sounds like it, you know, it's it's, it's just the formalities left. You know, it, getting a regular international player through the door and signing someone from Liverpool who's, albeit been on the fringes of it, maybe at times. You know, he's going to be imbued with that kind of commitment to success and, and the high standards that we've seen inside Anfield for you know. The last few seasons under Klopp, so yeah, I think it's great at all rounds, really. And I just think it's 
it's an example in a, in a different way of Liverpool's commitment to marginal gains, you know, getting a decent fee for Williams, and one which, you know, in time may well prove to be a, a bit of a bargain. You know, if he does do really well for Forrest, you know, fair play to them. But 17 million coming through the door and a player with, you know, possibly a comparable ceiling to Williams in, in the shape of Ramsey coming in for, for a much lower fee, who'll probably be on less wages, you know, and is younger fundamentally. Yeah, all, all leads to a pretty good deal. But obviously, I think every every Red would wish him well, you know, always gave his all for Liverpool and did look at one point like he'd be a good Trent understudy. But yeah, I think going out and getting game time on a regular basis now at, at a great level is, is a good move for him as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure the, the 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 net spend merchants, I don't know what to call them, Goulston, are probably rubbing their hands as well at Liverpool's business this summer. When you think Minamino and, and Williams are moving on, there's over £30 million recouped for them. Mane, similar amount of money just himself. And for mm. what's been put down for the players coming in, it's it won't show much on the balance sheets that's actually been spent by Liverpool, but they do continue to do great business. And I suppose not only a, a tick in the box for Julian Ward of showing those Michael Edwards-like skills of negotiation, but even for the academy, a real success story in Nico Williams. The fact he's a fully-fledged international these days, but equally shows the value of having the academy. It wasn't, what, too long, maybe 10 years or so ago under Rafa Benitez, the academy wasn't really producing what it could perhaps, or even producing players who could be sold on to reinvest into the academy. But now it, it really seems to be flourishing with Kirby. Yeah, I mean, the, the academy in, in itself is, is its own kind of business, if you like. It, it's, um, it's, it's not, doesn't rely on handouts from the club or anything like that. You know, this is how it services, it services itself you know, when transfers like this are being completed. I mean, the, the ideal situation of the academy ranks is to read the player who's going to be good enough for your first team and become a superstar for your first team in the manner of a Trent Alexander-Arnold. But just below that kind of aim, I suppose that there's an acceptance that, you know, at a club like Liverpool and, and elite clubs across the Premier League, that's not always something that happens every two to three years. So um, I suppose the, the other aim of an academy is to make sure that um, you can be self-sustaining and deals like 16, 17 million for Nico Williams is absolutely outstanding business. And it's funny, um, a mate of mine texted me who sports Everton and he said, uh, 16 million for Nico Williams. How did the poor man manage to continue doing this, this type of business? And on, on one hand, you can look at it and think, okay, this is a lad who, who barely plays and the people are getting decent sum for him. But, Alternatively, there's no real witchcraft behind it. It's just Liverpool look at the the market trends. And DJ Spence is going to Tottenham for 15 million. He was playing right back for Forest last season and a Forest team who came up via the playoffs. Nico Williams has played 30 odd times for the Liverpool squad, who were widely considered to be the best Liverpool team in decades. And he's a full Wales international. And he had a great second half of the season on loan at the very top end of the championship, you know, the team that won the championship by a, a country mile. So um, there's no real, you know, magic to it or secret or anything like that. It's very much just Liverpool studying the market trends. And sometimes that means that they don't get the, the full fee for a player that they want because for whatever reason, you know, they might have priced, priced their players out sometimes from clubs who are looking to buy. But more often than not, it is very much um, dependent on what's happening around those similar types of level deals. And this is very much one that Liverpool can um, put a feather in the cap and uh, raise a glass to the good work that's done at the Liverpool Academy. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
it'll be interesting to see on the academy what more they can produce. I mean, the likes of Curtis Jones and Tyler Morton even have come through the ranks, but we know so many players have been even bought in later on in their development. The likes of even Harvey Elliott, Bobby Clark, who's there now as well. But with five substitutes as well, but still that 25-man squad rule in the Premier League, I'm sure there are going to be a number of youngsters over the years to come who will be given that opportunity to make the step up. Uh, let's move on, though, Sean. And today is a, a birthday for the for, for two, actually, in, in the uh, Liverpool ranks. It's John Akterberg's birthday as well. But the man we're going to talk about is big Virgil van Dijk. I'm sure he's blowing out those candles in a very calm and composed manner. 31 years young today is big Virgil. But I think it's time to just indulge in him because he's one of those players who is so just composed and understated in what he does that maybe us here on the Blood Red podcast, we don't praise him maybe all the time we can because he is just so consistent it becomes kind of taken for granted almost yeah I, I think you're right and I think last season's almost a case in point on that because you know well even myself there when we were talking about Gomez you know I suppose we were looking at the players with whom he's going to compete for a place alongside Van Dyke. but you know in, in my head last season Matip had a great season Kanate had an incredible start to his Liverpool career and I almost underestimate how good Van Dyke was coming back from the season that he had, you know, prior to that, that we all know about and why that was disrupted and, you know, cut cut very unfortunately short. So, yeah, he's just, I've never known a player in any position for any club who's made the mockery of such a massive price tag so quickly. And I don't think I can really think of many defenders who have proved to be such a complete player in such a short space of time as well. You know, he's he's got absolutely everything. And if you're thinking back of highlights, you know, even in the first couple of seasons, you just saw it all, didn't you? Scoring against Everton on his debut. I remember being at that game and just thinking how high has he risen there to, to head that one into the back of the net. You know, it was great. You think about his, his defending abilities. That There's always that famous snapshot, isn't there? The one-on-one against Sissoko, against Spurs, where, you know, he just dealt with that expertly. I think the game against Bayern, the, the away game, where he put that long-range bomb up the field for, for Mane to score, but also scored himself in the game, didn't he? A, a crucial goal to put Liverpool, think to, to put Liverpool back ahead in the tie. You know, it, there's just there's just everything. But the, the one, the one that really stands out for me though um, is that game when Liverpool beat United two 0 in in the, in the title winning season. And I suppose the defining image of the game is is Salah's goal, isn't it? Obviously, Allison's knee slides and fans singing, "We're going to win the league." Shape being thrown up in the air, but you know, Van Dijk got the ball rolling there and and scored the towering header. You know, after I think it was quarter of an hour, something like that. And, and that's that's a trait that he's shown so many times, you know, being a, a, a massive presence in both boxes, being able to score and, and get an opening goal. And I think the, the teams, Liverpool teams in, you know, the not-so-recent past, I always think back to Benitez's side, who were undone by not being able to extract the goal from a set-piece and break a team down in a certain way. And and Van Dijk offers you that. But, but like you said, Guy, I think it is, it, he does let his character show in, in his game. And, you know, part of that is the relaxed nature of how he plays and how, you know, countless times we've seen players not even bother to try and take him on in a 50-50 or, or in an aerial battle and, and avoid his, his flank of the pitch entirely. But I think as well, you see little snapshots of, of of what he's like and what he must be like away from the pitch, sometimes on the pitch. And and, and that when he scored that goal, he threw like a little a little cheeky smug side eyes to, um, after, after the goal in celebration and then jumped about 50 foot in the air when he was, you know, jubilant, uh, putting Liverpool ahead and... Yeah, I just think he's he's become such a massive player for Liverpool, you know, a, a true talisman on the pitch, but around the dressing room as well, you know, and as part of the leadership group, he's he's made 75 million look like an absolute steal. 
and I suppose it, it leads Gorsty in the modern era we are where everything has to be ranked and someone has to be proclaimed as the yeah. best but the best Liverpool def- I mean Liverpool of course have had such a rich history of defenders but certainly before our time I mean I, I always remember the Liverpool backline growing up consisting of, of Jamie Carragher and Sammy Herpier and myself really being in admiration of Sammy Herpier but then you see someone like Virgil van Dijk come in who has all of those kind of leadership traits but equally sets the example to be the guy who extracts even more from those around him than what he can himself. And much like how Jordan Henderson does with the midfield, Virgil van Dijk consistently there with the defence, ensuring that they're all playing right to their very, very best. And I mean, even last season, I suppose, Alison Becker, what a brilliant campaign he had. I know the year before, of course, he had some, some personal difficulties, but you think back to the Man City defeat behind closed doors where Alison didn't kind of cover himself in glory. Last season, he was arguably Liverpool's player of the year throughout the campaign. And I'm sure a large part of that actually was in front of him. What what Virgil van Dijk was doing. Yeah, the pair of them together just instill so much confidence, don't they, when, when you're watching it. You're watching it on the cop, we watch it in the, in the press box, and it, it takes, you're looking at it, and sometimes van Dijk will, will almost allow a striker to, to, to get a shot off because it's at a difficult angle, and probably not going to beat Alisson Becker from, from a certain angle of the shot, and you think, he's probably thinking, well, rather than do that than try and tackle them and, and there's potential for the penalty. I think these, these are, they just work so well together. Um, and like for me, just, you know, aside from being, I mean, he's the best centre-back I've ever seen at Liverpool without question, but aside from him being that, it's um, he's almost got the psychological thing now where other strikers are aware of how good he is and sometimes that, you know, you know. Sometimes they used to say about the United team under Ferguson, and these teams were beaten before they'd even stepped out at Old Trafford just because of that kind of mantra. And Liverpool have that to an extent now at Anfield. Um, or, you know, not even to an extent. They just do have that aura. And um, on an individual point of view, Van Dijk definitely has that against certain strikers. I remember uh, was it Latoro Martinez in the first leg against Inter Milan. He, he kind of got one on one with Van Dijk near the centre circle. And then thought better of a of a one on one and taking them on, just kind of turned backwards and accepted defeat and passed it back into midfield and and didn't want anything to do with it. And it was just a moment where, you know, Van Dijk didn't even have to do anything particularly great. It was just just by his mere presence alone, it just helped Liverpool see the attack out. Um, and just little things like that, on top of him being you know really quick, so smooth and silky on the ball, um, strong as an ox, just an absolute. Unbelievable player, the best defender in the world, and you know, with Bertie today, given the way he plays, you know, he doesn't kind of overexert himself, does he? He's very cool and calm. And you know, I remember writing a piece a couple of years back, speaking to some of his, you know, his early coaches and his early managers, and, and they said the only weakness he had was sometimes he was he was too calm and collected, and, and the game would pass him by. And he's not like that anymore. He still plays the game like that, but he's never you never accuse him of you know elapsing concentration or anything like that. But the way he plays means that he doesn't overexert himself. So I'm wondering whether, you know, he's 31 today. Is he going to be able to play on a little, you know, Thiago Silva kind of 37, 38 realms and, and still be top quality because of the way he plays? He's not somebody who relies too much on pace or his power. He's obviously got those in abundance, but they're not the um, the immediate eye-catching parts of his game. So uh, I think, you know, with, with that new deal that he signed 12 months ago, I, I just think, you know, he's going to play on until at least 34, 35. Um, and then even beyond, I think Liverpool have still got a quality defender for years to come after that. Yeah, Sean, last one on him. 
the the term Rolls Royce was was made for him though. Premium, silky, smooth, just absolutely deluxe, right at the top top level of of what you can get. And I mean, it, it's not often, is it, that a defender, and albeit three years ago, is given an accolade such as the PFA Players Player of the Year. His standards haven't dropped in any way since then. And I mean, actually, you wonder, I know Ian Doyle, he's not here to, to say, <laughs> will always say a Liverpool player can never win the Ballon d'Or. But with, with Ronaldo and Messi coming to the end, you do wonder, maybe, can Van Dijk as a defender actually be the first one since, what, Fabio Cannavaro to, to take an accolade like that? You, you never know. It, it's absolutely possible. You know, certainly with the whole mood around the Liverpool team of how much they want to put, well, I was going to say put things right about what happened last season. Last season was was a phenomenal season, but obviously the those last two games, I think there's quite a bit there for Liverpool to avenge. But you never know. I, I think that's the thing with Van Dijk. Not only is he the great defender with all the traits that you need in the modern game, as we've outlined. But I think to get over the line in, in one of the big awards, you know, the Ballon d'Or, something like that, you need individual contributions. But he's got that in, in spades, you know, like, well, we've already discussed some of the crucial goals he scored for Liverpool. But I think you're right. You know, if, if a couple of those came in the latter stages of the Champions League or in, in crucial fixtures that defined a league title win, he'd have absolutely every chance. And I think everyone in the Liverpool dressing room would be would be totally behind him. Maybe not Mo Salah. I think that might be a, an interesting one. I think he'd probably prefer to have it himself. But but yeah, there's just it speaks volumes there. You can look at anywhere across the Liverpool squad and say there's, there's players who should, could and should be competing for accolades like that. And yeah, the big fella at the back is certainly one of them. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Final one on the agenda then to get through for today, Gorsty, is where we're at with pre-season. Day five, James Milner, shock, won the lactate test. Was it ever in doubt? But now, over the course of the weekend, preparations beginning to look towards Thailand and the games of Manchester United and Crystal Palace out there. Yeah, so Liverpool fly out to Thailand tomorrow. Uh, they've got an open training session on Monday and a press conference before the United game. And yeah, uh, there's a... a, a you know, a cohort of legends who are going out with them as well. They're getting involved in a few kind of local things out there in uh, Bangkok. I don't think Ian Doyle counts as a legend, does he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't know. He's certainly in the age brackets, if not the uh, the status. Um, yeah, so it's, it, you know, it's, it's it's back to business for Liverpool. It's, it's the first time in, well, three years that they've been able to, to do one of these money-spinning tours and um, they got the big friendly with United there as well. It's something that Liverpool and United have been working towards for a while, actually, I think. Last last year they looked at having, you know, when, when the fans were allowed back into the stadiums, they were looking almost at a, at a two-legged friendly thing over the summer where they played once in Old Trafford and once in Anfield, and it was just a, a case of getting fans through the door and you know getting a a bit of a high-profile friendly just to kind of boost the coffers somewhat after you know eighteen months of no fans in the ground. Um, when United disgruntled supporters stormed Old Trafford for the game in April, Liverpool and United thought better of it and decided to shelve those plans. But they have been able to come up with um, with this friendly out in Bangkok in the uh, Raja Mangala Stadium. So, yeah, it's a, it should be a good one. It's been an interesting one because um, I've had a couple of people get in touch with me who kind of suggested that the, the ticket pricing is just far too high for what the locals in the area are able to afford, you know, generally. So there's been a little bit of a, a little bit of a, for all around that, so I'm not too sure whether it'll be um, a full house, um, which would be a shame, but understandable if the fans out there have been priced out of it. It'd be a shame if that is the case. 
we shall see, I guess. But generally, yeah, it's um, it's going to be a, a a good good week for the for the um, well, certainly the, the the PR side of things. Look, we're looking to kind of put the foot down in the, the Far East market once again, and we'll see. Um, certainly, the, the the new boys, Fabio Carvalho, will get a chance to see just how big Liverpool really is when they touch down in another completely other side of the world, and Liverpool are still. Got a huge fan base. So, um, yeah, it should be a good few days. And uh, sadly, I'm not heading out there. It's Ian Doyle for us. So, we'll see what uh, what good easy unearths while he's there. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see exactly what he does on earth. I like the uh, the comment about the legendary status, but we'll have to wait till he's back to, to rib him on that one. But, uh, Sean, I mean, we live it daily, don't we? We see the, the numbers involved of Liverpool fan bases around the world. Our, our viewership and listenership is very much worldwide, but it's on these tours in particular, isn't it? When you see the pictures that come out of it, that you really understand the sheer scale of, of Liverpool Football Club and the reach it has globally. Oh, massively. You know, I think it's easy to just say that this is this is a money spinner, and you know, obviously that that's a huge element of why Liverpool are going out there this this preseason. It, it, it's kind of quite nicely done in two blocks, isn't it? Because there's there's that element, and then there's the European second leg, if you like, where where Klopp will get his training camp proper, and you know, really put the players through the paces. But but yeah, I, I, you know, we, we've covered countless preseason tours now, and and you can just tell like, that the the passion that comes across in all the fan events, banners, flags, and people get involved with, like, fan culture. It really does resonate, you know, far and wide across the world. And these are the times that it really hits home. You know, it's easy for perhaps some fans and, and people like ourselves back here to, to kind of dismiss these games as, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a friendly. And, you know, we've just published a story there with Man United squad ahead of Tuesday. And, you know, quite a lot of big names are missing. Um, you know, there's, there'll be a few youngsters on show and, you know, I'd imagine Liverpool will probably follow suit and, and it, it won't be, you know, it's not going to be a full strength team, is it? But I think everyone who's in the ground, hopefully the issues of Gorsty, you know, spoke about there can be resolved and it, and it can be a good turnout and lots of fans get to see the action. But they'll be feeling that this is, you know, as important a game as as, as a league game, you know, and, and, it, and it's great to see. But yeah, you get it, you get it all over the world and this 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 next week should really put down the spotlight for Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. Gorsty, before we go, in terms of kind of Liverpool squad news, in terms of the composition of it, whilst maybe we, we don't know, obviously, who's going to be definitively playing, but this is the point of pre-season where, of course, we are expecting those big names, the big hitters, internationals, to, to join up with the squad. Yeah, um, I had the chance to, to go up to the accident training centres today to, to speak to Jürgen Klopp along with a few national colleagues and uh, I can't really divulge too much because a lot of it is under embargo, but um, Klopp was excitedly talking about the prospect of, of getting Darwin Nunes involved in, in some shape or form. And, and I think he, he's the, the big one, isn't he? He's the one that people are excitedly looking out to, to see. And it's understandable when you sign a number nine for 64 million, could potentially be a club record sign. And all eyes will be on him. Um, I'm not, not sure he's going to be he's going to be playing lots of, of either game against United or Palace at this stage, but it'll be uh, be good just to kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of him. Um but also as well for you know players coming back who uh, you know players like Thiago, Roberto Firmino's been in there as well, hasn't he? And um Henderson. Um just I, I just think when Klopp has a full preseason with his his big hitters, that just puts Liverpool in so much good stead for the for the coming months. I mean I don't think it was any coincidence that Liverpool did so well last season because 
so many of his um of his big hitters were there in Austria last year. So um it's a similar thing this season because there's no Europe, you know, excuse me, no internationals really, is there? You've got the World Cup in November. So um yeah, it could be a little bit of an interesting season, but I certainly think because of, of these next few weeks, um Liverpool will come flying off the traps until uh, until we you know we we go on pause for the World Cup. So yeah, that's it. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, and um, you know, the, the, it's a big, big friendly, isn't it? As far as exhibition games go, that the one United on there, and was it Tuesday afternoon? Am I right, Sean? I, I can't remember if it did happen or if I've, I've just dreamt it. Though they're thinking about Darwin Nunes, but when when he arrived, he dropped his first lad and kind of embracing kind of Liverpudlian nature and 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 being a scouser, just kind of wondering who's going to break him into that. Whether it's going to be left to the local lads, but immediately springing to mind, I've got a feeling we're going to see a lot of pictures of Costas Simicas with an arm <laughs> around Darwin Nunes breaking him in. We'll have the Greek scouser and the Uruguayan scouser, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. There was, there was a great thing this week as well where Simicast was um, doing an interview on Greek TV and I'm sure fans who follow him on Instagram will have seen his dogs and he had he had his two dogs on his on his on a t-shirt and each of the dogs one was in a Liverpool shirt and one was in a Greek shirt. So um yeah, he's he's very much taken the, the Greek scouser or scouse Greek if you go by Curtis Jones's wording um to heart. But yeah, it's going to be it's just going to be great this this next couple of weeks. I think you know Gorsley's right about the most exciting elements of all this. I'm I'm really intrigued as well to see what, and we we might not see the fruits of this really until the season begins. But just what happens with Diaz? Because Gorsley did a, a great piece in in the final months of last season about how Klopp had not overburdened Diaz with tactical instructions, and you know it was all on hold until the summer. Not all, but you know the the kind of finer points he could be absorbed in the summer. And you know, like the if the first few months of his Liverpool career was about unleashing his trickery and unpredictability and just getting him settled in, which he did obviously very quickly um, to great effect and already won a couple of trophies at Liverpool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what, what happens there, how much we see of him, how his relationship with Robertson and, and Simicast as well starts working down that left-hand side. And obviously, yeah, Nunes and, and a bit of Ramsey as well will, will all be exciting. So, yeah, very, very jealous of everyone who's going to be out there, including Mr Doyle. Yeah, definitely. Well, we will have, of course, all the coverage across the Liverpool Echo website as well as here on the Blood Red channel. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst and Sean Bradbury, thanks for your time and your company here on the Blood Red podcast. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.